about about him and and uh, this is the journey. You know, we've we've merged churches and things that I've been through, and and his his input. And um, I think I shared with the search committee when they when I was uh, for Faith at Bible and, and talking to them. And I remember telling them uh, when I went to Denver, a church in Denver, the two men that were references um, on my resume were Dr. Bob Nelson and Rick Hoffey. And I'm just so thankful for both these men being active in my life and imprinting on, on who I am as, as, a, as a person, let alone a pastor. But I've known Rick for quite a while. He's got a beautiful, beautiful wife and a beautiful family, four kids that are all, yes, all taller than me. <laughs> right? Except maybe Karis. I might, the daughter, I might, I might have, I don't know. I could be close too. Um, it's great to have him here. He's, he's, uh, I've got to walk with Rick through some great times, through some difficult times, and all of it I, I treasure. Um, you know, we're not perfect, and, uh, but we're all uh, representative of God's grace and his mercy. And so, brother, come on up here and, and share with us. <laughs> yes, he has kids. Oh, dismissed oh. chill. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, a, he has kids. That's what I I'm said. Like, I get dismissed. I get to go. <laughs> I know. Keep praying. Keep praying for me. Right? You see it. Come on up here, man. We'll give you some room. I thought for a minute you said, I'm dismissed. I get to go right now? That would be good. So. <laughs> Are you guys glad for Tyson? You thank him, boy? Uh, I, I didn't plan to say this yesterday. I'm going to say it again today, though. You, you'll never, never over-encourage your pastor. You, you'll never, like, should I write him a note to encourage him? You should write it. Give him an email, a letter, phone call. I always encourage him, okay? And, and He didn't tell me to say that, okay? It's, uh, it's just you need to to be aware that it's a great opportunity that uh, Tyson has here. and Thank you, Tolbert, so much for your hospitality. It's been awesome. Where's Noah? Thank Noah. We took his bedroom, so good job, Noah. You should thank him. And it still smells good, I think. So, um, um, man, it's great to be here at Faith Community Bible Church. Uh, some of you I know. Uh, great to see everybody. Make sure you come up and say hi to me if I didn't get a chance to say hi to you this morning. Um, especially those of you who I know from the past. Um, <clears throat> a lot has happened uh, since uh, what I was here with last time. And uh, by the way, uh, this is the book I just finished. It was finished in uh, December. And um, it actually made top five on Amazon, which was cool for devotionals, which is neat. And then I, I have a friend who lives in Thailand. And <clears throat> he said, hey, he, called, he actually Facebook messaged me. And he said, hey, Rick. He said, uh, would you mind if we uh, took your manuscript and uh, I'd like to get it to three different languages in Thailand? He said, uh, he said it would, you'd have to give it to everybody, but we'd get it in three different languages. And I said, well, I'd like a million dollars. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I said, of course, of course, you know, get it out there. So um, I'm really encouraged by it. It's, a, it's essentially, I used to do, to do some radio spots. And uh, I did about 120 of them, and so I, I took the manuscripts of some of them and worked through them. And it's, I think it's actually, uh, like, it's different than any devotional. It's 52 devotionals, and then after each devotional, I have seven days of questions. So I have, like, the who question, or the what questions, what it's about, who questions, why, when, how, now, all on that devotional. So I don't think there's anything like it. If there is, don't tell me because you'll discourage me. But anyway, this is for free. I signed it. If anyone wants it, it's yours. My man. And my man. Good to see you, buddy. All right. Excellent. Um, 
As we uh, talk this morning, I just want to let you know there's been these amazing technological devices. Uh, it's called the cell phone. So I have it right here, so I'm aware of the time. I, I, some of you think, you know, he just needs to keep going and keep going and not be aware of the time. That's actually some type of device that we use as speakers to let you know we know what time it is, but we're still going to speak as long as we want. <laughs> so just to let you know that. Um, I had several things on my heart, but I trust this morning we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So if you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> All righty. As we look at Hebrews chapter 5, I want to just ask you a quick question. And before we do that, I want to I quick pray for us, all right? Father in heaven, thank you. Thanks for this great church. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. Thanks for the work you're doing through Tyson and through the men and through the women. And thank you for the life, the encouragement. And we just ask that now you'd use this time. Uh, this is all about you. And so we pray that you'd uh, encourage us, help us, guide us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, how many people want to win? Want to win? I, 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 yeah. Uh, how many of us have, have won a ribbon? Come on, it's okay. I'm going to want a ribbon. All right. How many of us have won a trophy? Yeah, that's good. How many of us have won a medal? How many of us have taken one of the medals from your brothers and sisters and acted like it was yours, right? <laughs> well, all right. Now, now let me ask you this. No, let's, let's not talk about awards. Now, let's talk about who likes to work out here. Who, who likes to work? You like to work out. Now, who likes to work out whether or not you get a medal or not? You just like to work out. We'll pray for all you beloved folks today, all right? But no, the, when we work out, we, there's, a, there's an award oftentimes. There's, there's a medal. And, you know, it's coming next month. It's the Olympics. That's right. By the way, before I go any further in the message, do we have a shout-out for our brother Simon? Do we have a FaceTime? Lisa Martyr's here. Oh, it's on. We're on right now. Everybody say on three, hi, Simon. One, two, three. Hi, Simon. <laughs> Great to see you, bro. All right. Oh, good. He says hi. All right. Technological things we have. I love the Olympics. I mean, I have to remember last Olympics and other Olympics. Uh, Michael Phelps is one of the most, he is the most decorated athlete. Uh, you had Usain Bolt, Usain Bolt, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. But as you look at life, every one of us, we're, we're in our own Olympics. You and I are in our own Olympics. You know what it's called? It's called life. It's called life. And you and I, depending upon how we run, dictates whether we're going to win or not. See, I want to go through this life, and I actually want to win in this life. I want my life to count. And so this morning, I want to just simply look at how you can win. How you can win in your life. How you can win your race. And by the way, there's pitfalls you want to avoid. There's pitfalls you want to avoid. Matter of fact, when I was a young boy, I used to hunt growing up. Loved it. It was a great freedom. I loved having guns and shooting things. And, and this is when I lived in Iowa. And I was visiting my, my uncle's place in Minnesota. And the, the, when, the, when the sun starts to come down in the snow, you know how it gets crunchy on top? Some of you are like, I've never been around snow. I live in Atwater. But anyway, it's true. So, and I was... I was walking on top of the snow, and it, it was really, really hard. 
And so you can actually kind of run on snow, and it won't depress because it's so hard. And so I was doing this, and I'm like, this is great, man. I just, well, there's a little river in front of me, a little creek. And so I'm like, I'm gauging it. And I've got my gun in my hand, a little 410 shotgun. And so I'm gauging it, and I'm like, it's on safety, of course. And I'm going to gauge it. I'm going to plant, and I'm going to go right over this. It's not really wide. It's, it's real shallow. So I'm running, and I'm running, and I plant. And as soon as I plant, my foot depresses about six inch, and I do a face plant on the other side of the creek. Water flew up. Mud flew up. My back went, and I'm like 12 years old. I'm like, this is not good. You know, life does that to you sometimes, doesn't it? You think everything is going to be smooth sailing and walking, and bam, all of a sudden you trip, and you just got to recover. There's pitfalls in life you and I must avoid if we're going to win. Now, as you look at Hebrews chapter 12, the writer tells us how to run our race. And as you look at Hebrews chapter 12, it's written to people, frankly, who are, dr- who are drifting spiritually. They're drifting. They've been caught up in certain Levitical systems, caught up in religion. It's no different back then than it is today, trying to get to heaven on certain good works. And so these people are drifting. And I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you put your car and you're on a big hill and you drift. As a matter of fact, we were at Berkeley a few uh, that's where my son goes to school, real conservative school, Pal Berkeley, real conservative. <laughs> and so we're there, and we found this one hill. And we found this one hill, and it's not real long, but it's like mega steep. And so just for the fun of it, uh, I put it in neutral. And I went, ah, Rick, stop, stop. We had some marriage issues after that, but that's another story. But, you know, sometimes you just start drifting in life. Do you know it's easy to drift? It's easy to drift. I mean, it doesn't take any effort. I mean, you throw a dead fish in the water and you just let the stream take it. A dead fish doesn't take any effort to float down the, float down the water. And it's the same in life. It's easy to drift. And so these people here were drifting. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how they needed to pay attention. And chapter 3 talks about how they're to fight unbelief so they, can, they should be encouraging one another. And so as we ramp up to chapter 12, The writer of Hebrews, again, talks all about how Christ is superior, how relationship with him is superior, and how you and I can win our race. Now, let's go ahead and look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, and you know that therefore is therefore, because it's looking back at what he just got done saying, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud cloud of witnesses, we'll look at that in a minute, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance or with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, this morning we're going to look very simply at three motivations or three incentives that help you win your race. That's it. If you're taking notes this morning, three incentives, three motivations that help you win your 
race. Help me win mine. Help you win your spiritual race. And by the way, I'd say all these three are essential. These are not like suggestions. These are, these are not like a stop sign, you know, 18 miles that way in the middle of nowhere. They call it, you know what you call a stop sign in the middle of nowhere? They call it a stoptional. <laughs> so these are really important. And you say, what's an incentive? What's the motivation? Well, I teach tennis lessons and periodically I have kids who are 10, 11, 12 years old. I teach them and, and periodically say, hey, I got 10 balls left in my basket. I'm going to feed you 10. You've got to get at least five. If you get five in the blue, you get a Coke or you get a Gatorade or you get a candy bar, whatever it is. That's incentive. And for a kid, that's a big deal. And so as we look at these incentives, it's very, very important for us. Matter of fact, you need to pray for me because a few days ago I did something I shouldn't have. I, I pulled up. <coughs> There it was. I just looked. There they were. They were all on that little billboard as you're driving through that drive. And there they are. And then I ordered everything. I ordered 12 of them. And then I went a little further and I paid. And I ordered 12 Krispy Kreme donuts, baby, for our family. And they were awesome. <laughs> First time I've ever ordered 12 assorted Krispy Kreme donuts. I've done the originals before. These were assorted donuts, baby. And they were, it was heaven on earth, let me tell you. That was incentive incentive to have a donut well this is obviously a much deeper motivation and incentive the first one comes right out of verse one therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside every encumbrance number one is look back to the past look back to the past you say what do you mean look back to the past who are the cloud of witnesses in verse 1? Why, by the way, don't think these are witnesses that are staring down at us. I think they're having just a great old time in heaven uh, with Jesus, frankly. But in any event, we're to look back to the past and see these witnesses, the hall of faith, if you will, studs in chapter 11. You say, who are they? Well, you go back to chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain was the evil one, you remember, and Abel's sacrifice pleased God, and Abraham, or excuse me, Abel was commended for his faith. Another guy, verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Remember Enoch? He was taken up, all right, taken up from this life, verse 5, that he should not see death. By the way, if God has a program, that's the type of program I want, a deathless route to heaven. That'd be great. You live, you walk with God 300 years and just you're no more. <laughs> Love it. Enoch, by faith, Enoch, again, was not, he was not found because God took him up, verse 5, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up was pleasing to God. And that's where you have, in verse 6, the classic verse, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to please God here this morning? You've got to have faith. You have to have saving faith, and then faith as you go throughout your life. Because anybody, or whoever... For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By the way, loved ones, it's not bad to seek a reward. Certainly if the reward ultimately is Jesus. So as we look at this again, verse the next verse is there's a gentleman named Noah by faith. Noah, great name, Noah. Being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. They hadn't seen rain yet. This takes faith. And so he builds an ark. He does. He was commended for his faith. Another gentleman, verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, here it is, not knowing where he's going. Can I get an amen on that one? Does, any, does everybody know what's going on in their life right now? 
I mean, are there not points of your life where you're like, well, I think I know what the Lord's doing here, and I think I understand what he's doing here. I'm absolutely clueless what God's doing right here. I'm absolutely clueless about certain things, what God is doing in my life right now. I'm not just saying it. And I think sometimes that's where the Lord wants us. There's elements of mystery that really force you to demonstrate faith. Of course, Abraham, he lived as an alien in the land, and he was looking forward to heaven. He even watched the faith of Sarah as she bore a child at age 90, and Abraham was 99, verse 16, the Bible says. But as it is, uh, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And God is not even ashamed to call them brethren. And who can forget, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. I don't know about you, but I have four kids. That would be really difficult for me to have one of my kids, and I'm supposed to go sacrifice that. Huge faith that it would take. And then, of course, Moses, if you go further down, Moses. You look at all of them, verse 20, Isaac and Jacob, verse 21, and Moses, there he is in verse 23. Allowed himself to be under mistreatment and cruel punishment and instead of having the privileges. And then he left Egypt and kept the Passover. Verse 29, that by faith they passed through the Red Sea. By the way, if I was Moses, that would be the scene I'd like. Open up the Red Sea, baby. Just, man, that would be awesome. And these are all people, uh, what, what the writer of Romans is trying to do in verse 1 is say, look, look back at these guys. And can I tell you, can you look up here just for a minute? You're just like they are. My friends, let me ask you a question. I asked a man here yesterday. You, ask, you tell me right now, this class time, you tell me how many people in the Bible do you know that are squeaky clean? Let's all have them. I'll give you one, Daniel. Got any more? Huh? Jo Joseph, that's another one. Somebody said yesterday, Jesus. Well, that's another one, too. That's good. Job. Job 1-1. He was a blameless man from the land of Uz. I love the name of that city. Enoch. Walk with God. That's good. Anybody else? We're kind of running out of them, aren't we? It's because you and I have issues in our life. We have blemishes. And God is a God of grace. And he wants to continue to use broken vessels. And he wants you and I to look back at the past. Look at these people in the hall of faith. Look at what they had to overcome. And get encouragement from that. Get motivation become from that. Because I can relate to that. I can relate to those types of people. I can't relate to people who actually have it all together and perfect. Unless I look in the mirror. Just kidding. Now, here's the deal. As we think about this, ladies and gentlemen, as we look back to the past, there's some race killers. Some race killers. Some faith killers. Here's what they are. They're called, they're called fears. You might remember the story of David and Goliath. I think these are on the slide. These are on the slide. Oh, yeah, we haven't got the verses up there. Remember David and Goliath, just real quickly. He was a champion named Goliath who was from Gath. And these are all people who are focused on the problem. Remember the story of David and Goliath? They're all focused on the problem. They're getting ready. Uh, Goliath is getting ready to fight David. They're there, and they're kind of like checking everything out, and they're, they're focusing on Goliath. I kind of feel like Goliath, actually, right now. I'm kind of tall anyway, and I'm like up on this platform. But in any event, 
that he came from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs were these bronze greaves and a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. I mean, oh my goodness, look at this guy, Goliath. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. This is the part I like. By the way, you ever wonder what Goliath's life was like, life was like when he grew up? See, I think Goliath, he was one of those who would bully everybody because he was bigger than everybody. And so he bullied everybody, and everybody's like, yeah, Goliath, Goliath, get him, Goliath, get him. You're the big guy, yeah. And he had all those cronies following him. But he was insecure like crazy inside. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, who do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? By the way, I don't know what Goliath's voice sounds like. It's just kind of impersonation trying. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and I kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And by the way, I believe in the white spaces of the last verse, God's saying, No, you won't. I'm going to use a little skinny little kid named David who I'm going to pluck from the shepherd fields. And they were scared spitless, the people of Israel. And secondly, they expected to be defeated. This is a, they expect, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of his Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments we do really irrational things when we're scared. I mean, it's amazing how fast I can run when I'm scared. I remember we were at Halloween. This was back when I was in high school. And we were just kind of, we were being teenagers. We actually weren't really doing anything wrong, but we were kind of like being mischievous. We were walking around, people were trick-or-treating. We were kind of walking around, and, and a cop came pulling up. Woo, 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 lights came on. So what did I do as an intelligent person? I ran. And my friend Daryl was with me. He says, Rick, what are you doing? Turn around and come back here. So I turned around and came back there. He said, what are you guys doing? I was just kind of hanging out. All right, so don't mess around. We'll see you later. It's amazing what you do when you're scared. But these people were scared. The Israelites were scared. They expect to be defeated. Thirdly, what happens when you're scared? They had an attitude of self-protection. These are all race killers. As he was walking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. <laughs> they all ran like a bunch of ants. Achoo! Look out for number one when you get scared. Now, there's some fears that are good. Don't touch the oven. Don't jump in front of the railroad tracks. Don't jump in front of the car. There's some fears that are good. Ow, that's hot. But these were asked lastly. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. They ran from the problem, and the acronym there is F-E-A-R, fear. These are all race killers. These are all race killers. Is it any wonder why the Bible says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? These are all race killers. So the first incentive is 
you got to look back to the past. You have to look back to the Bible examples. You have to hopefully look at examples that you have before you. Second. The second incentive is to not only look back to the past. You're going to run your race. You guess what? Number two, you got to run your race. And did you notice you got to run your race? You know, when I <coughs> when I wrote wrote that back, there there were times I didn't tell my dear wife I was writing this thing because I couldn't handle it. She was going to say something about it or help me, and she was been a great encouragement with me the whole way. My kids were very helpful. But there, there are just certain things I knew I needed to kind of get cloistered and do what I was supposed to do. You have your race. I have mine. You know, I tell kids sometimes, and as, as I teach them tennis lessons, and sometimes they have, a, they have a tournament, I tell them, so, you know, when you get out on the tennis court and you start playing tennis, I cannot, I will not, and I cannot, I can't come on the court and play for you. It's your match. It's your match. You're the one who's playing against your opponent. I can encourage you. I can pull you aside. And I think you should hit it this way and hit cross court and reach up more for your serve. And I can tell you all these things. But it's your match. I can't play it for you. Coaches coach. Players play. You have to run your race. So we have to get the ankle weights off. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have people running with so many clothes on. You remember moon boots growing up? Remember moon boots? You don't run with moon boots on. Now today we have Uggs. Uggs. You don't run with Uggs on, as cute as they are. You don't run with them on. They make you slow. See, it's not necessarily, again, you guys, you have to ask yourself, what's slowing you down? What is slowing you down? It's not always how fast you can run. Oh, my word, Usain Bolt, he's fast. You don't see him running in the Olympics. You don't see him running with these big, huge army boots. He, he strips down so he can be fast as possible. You don't have a workout and go, man, those 12 Krispy Kreme donuts, that sleeve of Girl Scout cookies and chips were amazing after my workout. That'll slow you down. You say, Rick, the first point you had, I'm supposed to look back at the past. You say, I'm trying to run, but I don't have any good models. Well, you have some Bible ones we just looked at. And I would say politely, you need to find some good models. Find some people. Now, <coughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go from preaching to meddling, but I, but I love you so I can do that, okay? We, we all friends here? We okay? All right? It wasn't very affirming. <laughs> I'm talking to myself as I talk to you, by the way. Did you have to stop looking at the models? <laughs> Who hurts you? Matter of fact, it might have even been a model. Oh, he was my discipleship partner for a year, for three years, for five years. He grew up. I don't know who it is, what happened. And that model, they failed you. And you thought they were the fourth person of the Trinity, and they failed you. That's all right. That's okay. You have to process that appropriately. You have to process that. Here's why. This is the key. Because bitterness, hurt, difficulty, it's not a weight on you. It's a noose. You ever seen a snare trap? They used to have, when I grew up, we used to have traps. And my friend used to set snare traps right in between a barbed wire fence. You put a little snare trap. When you jump through a noose trap, a snare trap, 
once the animal catches a leg or something, and the more you struggle, the tighter it goes, and the more you struggle, the tighter it goes, and that's what bitterness does. That's what unforgiveness does. That's what the things that happen that are disappointments in our past, they're still with you. And so you got to run your race. I have to run my race. We have to, as the Bible says again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we have to lay aside every encumbrance. You know what encumbrance here in the Greek language, in the original? It means weight. It's not even sin. can be sin. It's just weight. It's bulk. It's just heavy stuff that don't help you when you win your race. And the sin which so easily entangles us. What is that? I believe not only sin in all its forms, I believe it's unbelief in the context here. Unbelief in all of its forms. I believe Spur- Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said this, unbelief is our chief weakness. What is the enemy of faith? It's unbelief. You and I need more, we need more faith. We need more belief in God. So that the things that happen in our life and the trip-ups that we hit and the things that happen want to slow us down and the bulk that starts to gather behind us, we need to continue to buy faith. Strip it off. Somebody once said, doubt is the doorway of the devil and you and I need to step on the neck of doubt and build our faith. And I'll just be honest with you, loved ones, this morning as I, as I think about this and as I'm writing my book and people are like, oh, and people have been so encouraging. I mean, friends from the past, many friends here in the present, you write me stuff, Facebook, message stuff, text. It's, it's just been overwhelming. It's been so encouraging. To, to, it's really actually been very humbling because it made me think, wow, Lord, there's a lot of people in my life that have impacted me. It's just been a very good experience, but. The whole way, the whole way, the whole way. Fear I'd have periodically. Doubt, who do you think you are writing a book? You don't know anything, Rick. I already know that. The whole way. So you say you struggle with fear, you struggle with doubt, you struggle with difficulty, you struggle with confidence. Man, welcome to the club. It's okay. It's huge. Because a lot of people want to run our race. But we're pulling a chain of bitterness from the past. We're pulling something. Something's dragging us. And boy, if we can deal with those, man, your stride starts to go faster and faster. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about this. See to it. 3.11, 3.12. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily. Did you get that? If I have a sinful, unbelieving heart, then guess what I'm not doing to other people? I encourage people. I'm like, I don't like people. I don't like people. But the writer of Hebrews tells us, so encourage one another as long as it's called today so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I don't know about you, but we live in a negative enough world, right? I mean, you don't have to watch the news for just a few minutes, and there's all kinds of difficult things that are on. I live in the real world. I actually watch the news. I actually know a little bit what's going on. But I'm not necessarily going to imbibe all the flavor of the news and let it get me down in such a, such a situation that I can't encourage other people. That doesn't take faith. I want to live in the real world and try to help people get on top of it and help people grow. 
So we're to encourage one another as long as it's called today. So friends, you and I, we need to throw off the weights so we can run. We need to believe and have faith we can run. Well, how else are you supposed to run? With perseverance, Hebrews 12. It says it right there in the passage. We are to run, verse 1, with endurance, the race that is set before us. The word endurance means hupomene in the, in the original language. It means to remain under. That's what it means. Now, years ago, I used to watch Wild World of Sports. I confess, sorry I'm dating myself, Wild World of Sports. There is a weightlifter called Vasily Alexiev. Remember Vasily Alexiev? You some of you, oh, praise the Lord. And he would have the weights. And he'd, you know those cleaning jerks? And he, they'd get under the weight. And it'd be just like this. And they'd get the, real, the, the red light. See the idea here? is to remain under. What's going on in your life right now? Friend, uh, friend, are you remaining under? Are you remaining under? <laughs> I know it's like, I don't want to remain under this. There's things in my life, I don't want to remain under that. But God's called you and I to remain and have endurance to remain under the difficulty and find some groundedness in your ungroundedness because he's got something for you in the, in the future. Did you know that ultimately everything Everything ultimately works good for you if you're a Christian. Not only Romans 8, 31, for, for um, if God is for us, who can be against us? But the classic verses in Romans 8, 28, um, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who have been called according to his purpose. That means everything in your life, ultimately, God's going to use it for good. You get in a car accident, you break your leg, that's not good. You have a difficult relationship, that's not good. But God uses the pain uses the hardship, uses the struggle to make you more like him. So you and I, God's called us to run our race. Endurance is the steady determination to keep going regardless of the temptation to slow you down. You say, Rick, I, I really want to endure. I, I'm with you. I'm looking back. I'm in my race. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be encouraged. I'm trying to have faith. But I get discouraged. You ever been there? You get discouraged? Right? It's normal. One writer said this, if you don't face the giant of discouragement early on, it will haunt you for a lifetime. Now, we all have to deal with discouragement. That, that's, that's normal. But discouragement is a giant that can affect our health, Weight loss, academic achievement, family values, endurance and marriage, all kinds of things. And here's one of the reasons why we get discouraged, right? This, is a, this should be on the, on the screen, I believe. It's the next little slide. Uh, what, what does your life depend upon? Because these are things that kind of start to fall apart. And we think, I'm discouraged, man, because of these things happening. It's because we have the wrong focus sometimes. Number one, we think, I am what I do. It's my position. My position, I'm, what do you do for a living? Especially men, we have, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a businessman over here, or I farm over there, or I do this over there, and I work over here. And we, out, we are, we think, what we do. Um, that's a wonderful thing, but you can't get ultimately your value out of that because guess what happens when you lose your job? You get discouraged, right? Number, number two is I am what people say about me. Oh, he's wonderful, she's wonderful, she's this. And that's why people in Hollywood, when all the fame falls, their life falls apart. So we are, we depend upon what people say about us. Thirdly, I am what I have, our possessions. Now Job was a rich man. There's all kinds of rich people in the Bible. The issue isn't possessions. The issue is what your attitude is towards your possessions. 
I am what I look like, persona, but the real way to remember it is, is you are loved. Did you know that God loves you? I, I know you know that. Tyson tells you that all the time, and you need to hear it again today. Matter of fact, God not only loves you, God loves to love you. Matter of fact, if you're a Christian here today, he'll never stop loving you. He'll never stop loving you. He loves to love you. He'll never stop loving you. You say, well, really? It's because all of your sins, past, present, and future have been taken for. They've been, they've been taken, for, taken care of at Calvary. They've been taken care of at Calvary. This wasn't in my notes. I'm going to tell you the story, though. And there was a boy. True story. Boy. <coughs> and <coughs> he went into the pastor's office. He's in the office. The pastor was there, and the little boy was there, and the parent was there. And the pastor said, Johnny, what happened? He's like, I stole some money from the offering plate. The pastor looked at him and said, Who told you to, to tell me? He said, Well, I just felt it in my conscience, and I thought I need to tell you. Pastor's like, Johnny, I'm so proud of you. I just want to let you know, even if you didn't tell me that, even if you didn't tell me, Johnny, God loved you anyway. I'm so, I'm so glad you told me, but I, I, I love you anyway, Johnny. And God's like, oh. and he reached in his pocket. And he pulled out another 20. He said, I took this too. Pastor embraced him and said, Johnny, I love you no matter what. You need to know that if you know Christ, God loves you no matter what you do ultimately because if he's paid for everything, past, present, and future, you're never out of the embrace of God. That's called grace. You don't deserve that. Neither do I. You can't earn you can't unearn grace. That's why you just receive it. You ever get a Christmas present? Yeah. No, no, don't get it. No, no, I don't need it. No, no. You bless the giver by receiving it. You bless the giver by receiving his grace and love. Every person in life, we need to learn what true love is in God. We have to go through our fears, go through our difficulties, and we have to deal with discouragement. One writer said this, every successful person I can think of has had to come back from discouraging circumstances. That's true of people I know personally. It's those I read about in the Bible. As a matter of fact, every single person in the Bible is a comeback story from something. Are you going to be that comeback person? Are you letting that thing happen in your past? You're looking back, and it's, oh, it stings. And it stung, and it continues to sting. I encourage you to deal with that. Number three, lastly, we're going to keep going. We're almost done. Lastly, this is the last point. By the way, if I had a one iron or a two iron, this is like a pitching wedge in terms of length for those of you who know golf. In other words, this is a short point. Lastly, number three, 
verse 3. Verse 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus as a person. A person. Philippians 1.6 says he has begun a good work in you, and he's going to continue to complete it. God has started a good work in you. God's work in you is unfinished, and God's going to continue to complete his work. And so we're to look to Christ. He died. Now he's at the right hand of God. And he, by the way, intercedes for us all the time. All the time. How you doing in your race? How you doing? How's your look back? When you look back, does it give you energy? Does it give you encouragement? Who are the models, the men, the women in your past, whether from the Bible or real life, who encourage you? Who are the ones, as you look back, and you're like, man, those, those three, those four, those two, that, that's just painful. My dear friends, it's not going to go away if you don't look at it and deal with it. And by the way, if you really believe in the sovereignty of God, which you do, if you really believe that God's in control, then maybe you'll come to the point where you'll actually realize in some way the Lord allowed, in some way the Lord was able to orchestrate these things to help you ultimately and help me. You don't have to like it. You don't have to always agree with it. But ultimately, you got to submit to it because it happened. It happened. You know, I had never shared this full story. I'm going to close with this. In sixth grade or fifth grade, can't remember when, it was kind of traumatic. My friend, we'll call him Randy. Randy was a friend of mine. Past tense friend. He invited me for a sleepover. Invited me over for a sleepover. Come on, Rick, let's go over. Well, Randy used to hunt. I used to hunt. And so I went over to his house. And before we went, you know, you talk to your mom. You're in sixth grade. You have a sleepover. You got to talk to your mom and see if everything's okay. And my mom was like, okay, yeah, it's fine. You can go over there and have a good time. Just just do me a favor. Don't, don't, don't shoot guns. She knew he hunted, and she knew I hunted. Just we'll go over there and have all kinds of fun, but just don't shoot guns. We stayed over Friday night. Next morning, his mom had to go do something, had to run some errands. So my friend Randy said, hey, let's go. I got something really fun for you to do. Let's go down to the river and shoot some fish. So Randy got his gun, 22, got his gun. We scurried down to the river. And by this time, by the way, it was winter, so it was it was, there was ice in different spots. And if, if you're familiar with this in, in the Midwest, fish congregate where there's water. <laughs> and so there's this big whole pool of carp. So he went down there and boom, we shot a few carp. And we went back to the house and had our time together. And mom never, and mom never found out. And so I went home. My mom, cause my, I, had, I, had great, I had a great upbringing. My parents were awesome. Brothers and sisters were cool. 
And I'm like, how'd it go? How'd it go, Rick? Oh, man, it was so much fun. We did this and stayed overnight and we watched TV and we did that. And we even did a little bit of shooting. It was a blast, Mom. My mom was like, you did what? We did some shooting. I said, well, it was, it was fine. I was just in. Well, my mom, God bless her. My mom talked to Randy's mom. And Randy got in trouble. And I got in trouble. This is in like sixth grade. Next time I saw Randy, oh boy, his his eyebrows were just crinkled up, and he says, "Rick, what did you tell your mom for? Why did you tell her we went hunting?" I said, "I don't know, Randy. I was just kind of excited, and I kind of slipped. Can't believe that. That's in sixth grade, seventh." Every time I saw him, and the, the, the forehead just went. I'm not lying. There, there were times, literally, we would see each other in the hallway. Seventh grade, eighth grade, when we used to grow up, we were, when we were in eighth grade. You know, I remember you used to have high tops and you have different colors, colored shoestrings. And there was a time where we had we had blue in the bottom. You had the Nike high tops with the blue in the bottom and the red on the top. And the other one, you had the the blue in the bottom and the the, the vice versa. You know what I'm trying to say. You thought you were cool. And then we had, because we were Sheldon Orbs, we had orange and black. So we had orange laces in the one, Nike hot tops, black in the other. And Rob, uh, my, my friend uh, uh, Randy looked at him and he's like, Hoppy, get those, get those shoe, shoelaces out of those shoes. Listen. Systematically, systematically, gossip and slandered about me and systematically pushed all the, the, the certain friends that I would, have, I would have liked to have hung out with. Ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. I got sick of it as a sophomore. I went into karate. I had my black belt by I was 12th grade. Everybody wanted to be my friend then. It was not until my 10-year reunion that I saw him face to face, and he looked at me and he said this. You're all right, Hoppy. That's all he said. My friends, I think I've dealt with that situation. <laughs> There's a part of me that would like to maybe use my crowd at him someday, but that's another story. My point is this, my friends. You can learn from your past. You can let those skeletons in your closet stay there and rot you. Or you can go, you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign over my life. I can relate to high schoolers. I can relate to kids. I can relate to some of the best athletes and all in between because of what I've gone through. I don't care where you are or how difficult your life is. You can get over top of it because you have the Lord. And if you really can do all things through Christ, then what are we waiting for? Nothing in our life should ultimately stop us because you have a Savior who loves you and who will never stop loving you. You can look to the past no matter how encouraging or discouraging. You can run in the present and you got a crown waiting for you in heaven someday and you can do it. But it's your race. It's not mine. And so you have all kinds of people to help you along the way. How you run it. Because the finish line is forward. 
may you and I end up there smiling. And one day he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You ran, you ran well. 